Welcome to the Leader Growth Podcast. I'm David Skidmore. Thanks for joining today. I'm really excited because today, as we help you overcome challenges and experience transformation, today on the podcast, I've got Gary Brooks. And let me tell you, this podcast is going to, one, it's going to encourage you. Two, it will inspire you. Three, it's going to challenge you to take on bigger challenges in life. The topic that we're talking about today is why you should do impossible things. And that's what Gary got into a few years ago, as we're going to talk about in today's podcast. Today is focusing on what happened at the first national building over the past few years, seven years specifically, and what happened in Gary's faith walk behind the scenes. Today, we're going to start off by talking about some of the advice and encouragement that Gary would give to younger leaders. Uh, then we're going to talk about his business journey. After that, we're going to jump in and look at the first national experience, why he got into it, and then his walk with God in that process. Uh, if you are a believer, this is going to light fuel on your fire. If you are a non-believer or you're just kind of unsure, or maybe you identify as spiritual and you're searching, I believe that this conversation is going to inspire you in your journey as well. So without any further ado, let's go to my conversation, why you should do impossible things with Gary Brooks. I don't know how many days I got left. I don't know my time. I don't need your motivation. I wake up and tell myself you gotta. Gary Brooks, looking at your career, um, real estate, we're going to talk about doing impossible things today. We're going to talk about First National, but before we had gotten to First National, if we go back, you had already had a lot of success. Let's talk about how you started creating success even at a younger age. I'm not sure that at a younger age I understood what success meant. Hmm. You're just, you're moving into the day, you're moving into whatever's in front of you. Yeah, I had dreams and goals, but I probably spent most of my time just trying to solve the problem in front of me. I didn't know what the future was going to look like, so you, you don't have the benefit of looking back like you do now. Mm. At 61, I'd look back and say, you know, perseverance, very important. That's an easy answer. I think that trying to create a picture of what I wanted was probably what drove me, that you're 30 years old, you're 35, that picture changes a lot, and you just kind of move. It wasn't as intentional as mm. people might think now. Yeah, because you know, early on, I think sometimes when people see a success story, um, the idea is, well, they've always been successful. Is that true in, in your life? No, not at all. Walk us through that. You hope not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you, you don't know this until you're older and you've had some failures that the things I probably learned the most from were things that didn't work. Not every project I did worked like I had planned. I tell younger guys who are in my business who've, maybe been in eight, 10, 12 years and things are going well. I go, you're a dangerous partner. Your feet have never hung over the edge of the cliff. You mm. don't know what it's like to, to have problems. You know, you, you've 
you've been in a marketplace where the tide's rising for everybody. Mm. The market always makes you look smarter than you think you, than you really are and dumber than you really are. It does. But at 35, you buy it, you buy the, you buy the hype. I did. Things were going well. I had a great partner and we're growing and you buy it. And so you start to craft this vision. Yeah, I'm, I am the man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is incredibly dangerous. If someone is early on in their career, what do you think they need to be focused on? <clears throat> well, I'll answer that question in a way you probably would never expect. Okay. When I was 25, 30, 35, growing up in the business, you read the business books, good to great, you read the books. The formula for success, there may have been 10 of them, but they were all pretty good, pretty consistent. Mm -hmm. We have entered into a world where I believe everything gets disrupted. So talking to a 25-year-old about how to be successful, I would give them a totally different answer than the answer I would have given them 15 years ago. Hmm. Example, artificial intelligence, what a lot of us call machine intelligence, is going to disrupt every industry. Right. We've lived in a linear world my entire life. Is incremental increases or decreases. The world's now exponential. And our brains, business isn't built for exponential changes. Globalization is going away as we know it. Supply chain problems. You've got disruption in Washington at levels we've never seen. They're not killing each other, but if it was legal, they would. Mm. And you, you throw all these things into the mix, and a 25-year-old who looks at me and says, hey, what do I do in the, to build a successful career? I'm going to give you mostly different answers than I would have given myself. I'm going to say, learn to be flexible. Learn a lot fast. You need to be consuming information as much as you can and not information you're going to be able to get on your phone next week. Hmm. Education is different. Learning is different. How you run a business is going to be different. It's all changing. So I'm not sure that my formula for success to got me here, it, the picture I get in my head is the space shuttle. Hmm. You know, once you get to outer space, you got to dump 95% of the stuff that got you there. At 61, I'm saying, what it's, what's the 5% I got to keep? Yeah. And I got to throw away all the 95% that got me here. And what's the 95% I need to learn and bring in for the new world that we're now living in? Hmm. As you know, we live in the attention economy. It's all about eyeballs. All about eyeballs. There's also with that, uh, the desire for, you know, you look at 80% of Gen Z is longing to be an influencer. Um, no problem with that. But uh, in the pursuit of quick growth, quick, quick fame, um, and maybe quick information. How do you also um, hold attention of both flexibility and building character? Well, flexibility and character come from experiences, mm. good and bad. Yeah. My character now is a, a function of the things that I've experienced in my life. 
Mm. Hopefully it's good. Flexibility is forced on me. If I want to be flexible in my body, I got to work on that. It doesn't just happen. And I can read 25 books on how to be flexible, and it's not going to make me flexible. Mm. Only when I get on the floor and I begin to do what I have to do and I go through the pain of retraining my brain because most of the flexibility is in your brain. It's not your body. Your brain is what shut, is what's shutting off your body, saying you can't go any farther. Once it begins to understand, I'm not going to, be, I'm going to get hurt here. That's how you become more flexible. It's the same way in business or life. Hmm. I need the experiences that force me into uncomfortable situations that make me flexible. Probably the best answer I could give to that is do hard things. You want to learn to be flexible? Do hard things. What are the kind of things that, that you think somebody, when they're especially young in their career, should be thinking about doing that's going to challenge them, that's going to push them? Anything that makes them uncomfortable, anything that's outside of their expertise. And it doesn't mean you have to go do something crazy and quit your job and go pick a job you don't know how to do. Mm. It might mean beginning to read or listen to influencers on a different topic. Mm -hmm. That might be enough. For 18 months, I've studied artificial intelligence and medical and the convergence of those two things, neither of which I knew anything about at 60. It's very uncomfortable to try to learn language about the body and how it works that I just didn't understand. I ruck pack. It's miserable. I hate it. But my body needs that. My body needs to be uncomfortable. I get in 55-degree water. Yes. It's terrible. But my body responds well. My body needs to know I don't need to be comfortable. And I think that is one of the best things you could do to be flexible. Just do hard things. Have hard conversations mm. that you don't want to have with people. Be willing to engage in difficult things that you don't want to do. I chased comfort my entire life. I pursued comfort. I would have never admitted it, didn't even know I did it. I either tried to get comfortable or get out of uncomfortable situations. That's what I did. And it wasn't until I began to realize that, go, you know, I, I'm going to be fine. No, you're not, Brooks. This is terrible. Yeah, I'm mm. good. I'm good. I can handle hard things. This is going to be a really hard, long journey. Yeah, I'm good. I can handle it. Mentally, physically, spiritually, I can handle hard things. I couldn't have said that 10 years ago. Do you think you would have said it 10 years ago? I wouldn't even know what it meant 10 years ago. Hmm. I could have heard it, and it would have gone over my head. I would have gone, what's he talking about? Yeah. I have no clue what that means. I'm thinking about one of... Uh, many conversations that, that we had. I'm thinking about one of the nights, actually this happened many times at West Lanes, and I heard you say the greatest enemy that we have is comfort. <clears throat> yeah, you first heard me say that when I first started to understand it. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm, this makes no sense. You know, I, I live a life trying to be comfortable. Where I live, what I drive, what I eat. Mm. 
everything. I just it's about comfort. And one day, you know, in my journal time, I just Lord just starts peeling back that onion, going, "Look, what's wrong with being uncomfortable?" I didn't know that was an option. Hmm. And over time, because a lot of these things take time to learn, that's why he doesn't reveal everything to us immediately. We yeah. wouldn't understand. And over time, he keeps dropping little clues. And you know, one day he says, hey, the best way the enemy can keep you shut down is just to keep you comfortable. I think most of the people in church are just comfortable. Mm. Yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Um, <clears throat> I want to come back to this idea of um, how success sometimes does build upon success, you know you you get used to a level of success and then you realize i can do more than than this so i'm curious when you were early on in your career um, what were the things that you started getting involved in and then when you made the switch into real estate um, walk us through that journey of, of growth and how even in in that place how you learned to succeed again it it, it looks intentional hmm most of it wasn't. Okay. I have an accounting degree, thought I was going to be an accountant, was pretty good at math. I sucked at accounting. Didn't take me too long to figure out, I hate this stuff. I've got a degree, and I, I don't like it. Got into car sales. Mm. Started selling Range Rovers and Sobs for Mr. Moore, Bob Moore downtown. Worked with Mr. Moore for a couple of years, and... I'm much better at selling something than I am doing accounting. So mm -hmm. I, I start, I just leaned into, I think, whatever was in front of me that felt comfortable. Yeah. I didn't want to be uncomfortable. So, you know, when I, you look back and say, success drives success. Yeah, it does because you get more confident. Mm -hmm. You get more people around you going, hey, you did it once. I bet you can do it again. The danger for me was you wake up one day going, yeah, I am good. <laughs> and well, that creates a whole nother set of problems. Mm. <laughs> you know, success is, is overrated. So if we're talking about doing the impossible, uh, most of us are succeeding at things that are very possible. We just figure out how to control variables and how to do that repeatedly. When we're talking about doing the impossible, that's where we're actually going to talk about um, a faith component, right? Um, and so sometimes, <clears throat> I think one one of the great things is sometimes if you go for the impossible, you might fail at it, which is to to your point, the great fear. You probably will. Hmm. We finished first national, but I failed a hundred times. I made so many mistakes. Hmm. <laughs> oh, it was a disaster. No, people don't see that. Yeah. My closest partners will. They're like, yeah, Brooks got that wrong. But you know, people see the end result. Mm. So they go, wow, that's, a, that's amazing. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you see the end product. It was amazing. But mm. you don't see the, the, the scars that all the mistakes that I made. Yeah. So part of this process, though, you're working with Bob Moore and then you step into real estate, would it have worked for it? Like, would you have had the level of trust that you needed if you just stepped from 
you know, working with Bob Moore and then I want to take on first national or were there steps that you had to take to get to a level of credibility? Do you, do oh you yeah. No, I mean, of course you, you couldn't. Yeah. You all, you have to build on it. Yeah. The only reason I, my team and I got picked was because I had credibility with the people making the decision, the federal judge, the mm -hmm. city people that said, okay, let's, we, we, tr we trust Brooks. He's never done anything like this, but we know him. Hmm. He's credible. He's trustworthy. He's done other things. And there was a relationship. That happens over years. You don't develop that in a year or two or ten. Hmm. For me, it took 30 years to build that credibility. What kind of things were you doing in, the, in those 30 years? And I, I know part of that's relationship and how you're connecting with people, but also j just project scope. Somebody's unfamiliar with Gary Brooks. Somebody's un unfamiliar with real estate. Like what, what are the things that you're involved in? Yeah, I was a real estate broker, commercial real estate. It was an office market guy, mainly did most ten mostly tenant representation. Mm -hmm. Tenants needed space. I went and found it. You get paid, you get a fee. I did that for a long time. I started a company with Mark Beffert, I think the smartest real estate guy in Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. uh, still one of my best friends. Mark and I built a company around brokerage. That's what we did. Mm -hmm. Brokerage and management. We managed properties and we tried to fill them up. That's basically what we did. And you get paid for that. And at around 2006, Mark and uh, some other people started buying some buildings. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. Owning them feels better than renting them and just getting a fee. I, I like that. It wasn't some big strategic plan put into place. Got lucky, had some people, some people that had some money and trusted, had some trust in us, thought we could bring some value and started building uh, some equity in some projects. Mm. And in 2006, 2007, I thought, hey, I'm going to jump out on my own because apartments was something that I thought was going to be a good investment in the future. I looked at a birth rate chart from 1900 to 2000, and I simply looked at it and said, there's a lot of kids about to go to college that are going to need apartments in the next 10, 15 years. Mm. It was that simple. Yeah. It wasn't this big strategy. I literally looked at a chart, and I started doing apartment development. Met a few people that could help me and built uh, about built or, or bought about 3,000 apartment units here in Oklahoma City. Okay. Um, kind of found a sweet spot of building these $50 million, four-story, we call them Texas wraps, with garages, and they're really cool and nice. So that was kind of my sweet spot. Uh, and then First National came along, which was a whole different animal. Okay, so you've got multiple apartments. You're doing really well. I mean, life's, life's life good. was good. Yeah, life was good. That was my friend's point. Going, why would you do this? <laughs> Life is fantastic. Yeah, you're you're in a place where, to to your point, it's great comfort. Oh yeah, good. All right, so let's talk through First National because, let's say somebody's in, in L.A., New York, they're going, okay, what is First National? Just walk us through what is First National. What what is this building? Why does it matter? Yeah, First National is a 32-story high-rise built in 1930, uh, opened in 1931. Art Deco, it was, it was modeled by a Chicago architecture firm after the Empire State Building. So there's a lot of similarities. Mm. 
incredible great banking hall, 60,000 square feet, 24-foot ceilings, uh, massive columns. It's just an incredible room. It's gorgeous. It, it's spectacular. Bank did really well. In 1957, they expanded to the east, and in 1972, did another expansion. So the building ended up being 1.1 million square feet, a full city block in the middle of downtown at Park and Robinson. The bank failed in 1986, one of many from the Penn Square debacle, and the dark, the, the great banking hall went dark. There were still a lot of tenants, office tenants used it, but it became started getting a disrepair in the 90s. Uh, out-of-state owners weren't spending money, and for the next 25 years, it just really began to disintegrate. A lot of damage, a lot of water damage, things weren't mm. working. And so, being a local guy, building's cool. I wasn't in love with the building. I'm not a history guy, so I had nothing. There was nothing emotionally attaching me to that building. Mm. But it had gone to receivership, and I found myself in the building one day. It was open, and people could go in. I'm in the building, and I'm on the third floor, and I don't remember how I got in. I don't remember any of this. And I'm looking down at the Great Hall, and it's just this massive room, an 800-pound chandelier right in front of me hanging from the ceiling. And I got a vision of it at Christmas. Probably didn't last one second. It was just a very quick flash of, of people and the tree. And I remember looking up going, no, 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 this is not going to happen. <laughs> you know, I, I had heard God speak. I think, but I didn't know. Over the years, occasionally you have thoughts that are really different. You're like, oh, that's weird. Yeah. But I didn't really have a solid foundation of hearing God's voice. But that was pretty clear. Hmm. I mean, that's not my brain crafting that picture. Yeah. I, I instinctively knew that. Hmm. that. I did not do that. And so I'm arguing with myself, like, hey, no, I, I'm not capable of doing this. Mm. This is not happening. I'm an apartment. You know, I do $50 million apartment projects. That I can get my head around. You know, I can do those Yeah, comfortably. This largest asbestos job in the country, we knew that the asbestos alone was, was probably worth, that the cost to get the asbestos out was a lot more than the building was probably worth. Mm. I didn't pursue, I didn't have a thought, I want to go do something impossible now that I'm 53 and life's going great. Mm. It never occurred to me. But I knew that if I was the guy that put a team together that saved this building, I, I, I don't need a resume for the rest of my life. Yeah. So if I'm in New York or Chicago, we, we did 106 case studies around the country. You could, you could put First National in any major city in the country, and it would fit perfectly. Mm. Yeah. It, it, it's that good. I brought in the, the team, the, the gentleman who did the Empire State Building remodel, Jefferson Memorial, mm. 38 state capitals. He's in my building, and he says, this is the most important restoration happening in the country. That's the guy who did the Empire State Building. So, I, And that I'm kind of thinking— God, I'm, I'm just an Oklahoma City guy trying to save yeah. a building. I, 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 I never, I would have never made that kind of statement. So 
nationally, it's a, it, it's a big deal. Mm. First National has a great history here. Um, you have this vision in it on the third floor. Look down, flash moment, Christmas. And then what what happens? Well, I called my best friend, the smartest real estate guy in town, mm -hmm. who my wife is his CFO. I said, I think God's telling me to try to buy First National. He said, ask again. You've lost your mind. He runs next door, tells my wife. I hadn't told her yet. She doesn't know. Mm. She gets home, says, he's smarter than you are, and he says it's impossible. I go, yeah, he's probably right. And, I, and I'd been thinking about it a few hours. And this is all happening in your head. Like, this mm -hmm. is crazy. You know, I can't do this. Yeah. But I had enough success that I thought, maybe I can build a team. And then I think, well, I'm not going to get picked. It was in receivership. They're not going to pick me. I've never done a high rise. There'll be people all around the country that are experts at this. Mm -hmm. They're going to pick one of them. So if I take a run at it, what do I have to lose? If God did tell me to do it, and I'm right, then I obeyed, and I don't get picked, and all's good. Yeah. And, and I do believe that. I, I believe that I had a, a vision that was not for me. But I also think 95% of the reason I did it was ego. Because pretty okay. quick you're figuring out, hey, if I'm the guy to help save this thing, I'm golden. Yeah. So... Yeah, it wasn't some, you know, I'm, I'm some spiritual guy in the building trying to listen to God. Not at all. But I appreciate that because I, I think like a lot of times people think that if they're going to do anything with, with God or anything for God, that their motives have to be perfect in advance. Mine were. Yeah. I, I, I say 95.5. Could have been 99.1. Yeah. Literally. I mean, I, this is all ego driving this. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, I believe I heard him. Yeah. And I remember talking to my wife, and I told her, I said, listen, if you have any doubts, play the card now and I'll walk away. Hmm. She said, why? I said, because if this doesn't go well, you can't imagine how bad it'll be in your worst nightmare, and I can't ever have you telling me we shouldn't have done it. Mm -mm. I've got to have you on board. And she, I remember she's, we're in, in the backyard she said, what will people say? I said, they'll thank you for bringing me to my senses. You'll be the, the town hero. <laughs> and long pause, she said, let's do it. Mm -hmm. And I still don't think we're going to get picked. I mean, I, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm obeying. I got out of the boat. But I don't think the reality of getting selected, I thought, was remote. And about five weeks later, I get a call from the receiver, who I knew well. And he said, hey, you better come see me. I'm at lunch with my wife on a Tuesday. I said, I think we're getting picked. So I'll just tell you the background. This was not some God moment where I'm going to be Mr. Brave and step mm -hmm. out and jump off the cliff. It, was, it wasn't that at all. I had no understanding of what I was about to do. But I do believe I had just enough you know, it's the guy that brought his son to Jesus. Yeah. He goes, I don't have much faith. I just have a little. Mm -hmm. Help me. Yeah. Help me believe. That was me. Mm. A lot of people would say that they want to do the impossible. I think especially younger generation. My generation, we want to do the impossible. Um, 
Why is it important for people to do the impossible? Well, <clears throat> God doesn't need us to do anything. Doing hard things changes me. Doesn't change him. I had no clue when I accepted and put the team together and ultimately got picked. And the day my partners and I closed that building, I had no clue what was coming. Hmm. Those early days were fun, creating, everybody's excited. Uh, so I, I wasn't thinking I'm pursuing something impossible. What's going to happen here? This is going to be awesome. You know, I'm not processing it that way. What I learned, though, was that doing something this challenging changed me mm. in almost every respect. I'm not the same person I was when I walked in that building September of 2015. Yeah, let's talk about that. How did this project change you? Well... <clears throat> We'll zoom in, but first, just big picture. Like, how did yeah. I had a lot bigger ego and pride than I thought I had? I would have told you that I was a pretty humble guy. Mm. I, I wasn't. I just didn't know. Probably the biggest way it changed me. I didn't believe God. I wouldn't have told you that. I would have said to you, "Oh yeah, I believe the Bible." I hit a point somewhere, you know, I journaled 2,400 pages in five years. So I journaled this entire process, my, my breaking and rebuilding. I journaled that process. And I remember journaling this concept that I didn't believe him when he said, you'll do... You can do anything. All things are possible for yeah. anyone who believes. We sing God of the impossible. I don't see anyone doing anything impossible. Mm. <laughs> I, I described it one day in my journal. I said, it'd be kind of like wanting to climb Mount Everest. And you go learn from someone who's never tried to climb Everest. They've read every book on Everest. They're an Everest expert. They've never tried to do it, but that's what we do. I looked around, the people I'd been learning from, what are you doing that if God doesn't show up, you're going to die or you'll lose everything, not one? Why would I listen to you? Why am I listening to you? I want to go find the people that made it on top of Everest. And even better, I want to find people who tried and failed to go, okay, what mm. happened? Tell me what happened. Yeah. Those are the people I want to talk to, but we don't do that. Doing impossible things, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not an expert at it. I've, I've been through one thing that people said, that can't happen. It just counts a little bit more because it was really long. Seven and a half years. Yeah. Largest redevelopment in state history. Yeah. It's a big <laughs> deal. I get it, but it wasn't intentional. I had a just enough faith that I said, I'm going to move into this. Mm. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm, I'm going to move into it. For the first 35 years of my adult life, 
it was like that old TV show, the curtain one or curtain two, <clears throat> probably pre, pre before your time. But yeah, it is. I'm not familiar. You want what's behind curtain one? Oh yeah, yeah. We're gonna open curtain one and let you see it. Curtain two, you don't get to see. Curtain one is your life. Pretty comfortable. You can continue to maintain that. Mm. Curtain two, can't see it. But here's what I'm going to tell you, Gary. If you'll pick curtain two and you're willing to walk away from curtain one and everything that's behind it, you'll never go back. And it all really boiled down to the fact I didn't believe him and most of the people I know didn't believe him. No people, I didn't know people that were doing things impossible. And then he said to me, he said, this is the first thing you've ever done where I ever needed to show up. Hmm. I've done some big deals. Yeah, but you didn't need me, and you knew you didn't need me. You wanted me to show up. You hoped I helped you solve problems, but you never needed me to show up. If I don't show up here, you're going down. Hmm. Feels uncomfortable, and it was. You know, battling storms is not fun. But why, why do the impossible? It'll change you. It will completely change you. Why do something impossible? Because you wake up one day and go, you know, I still got a lot of storms, but they don't bother me near as much. Mm. I'm good. <laughs> Brooks, you're not good. You got a lot of problems. No, I'm good. I can sleep in the boat, and I couldn't before. How do you sleep in the boat? You go through a lot of storms, and you realize, quit being impressed with your problem. Mm, mm. God's a lot bigger than my problem. Yeah. Okay, so let's, let's dig in on this a little bit, because you, you said, I'm standing on floor three, and I look down, and I'm not sure if I've really heard God speak before. And now you just downloaded this experience of hearing God, not just give you like a word, but we're talking paragraphs. We're talking pages, pages. Okay. So how did that happen? How, and for you, as you were going, you mentioned, um, he said, you haven't needed me. Why was it important, uh, for you to be able to hear him on that? in this idea of needing him. Cause I, I, I think a lot of people, when they think about prayer, they go, all right, God, I need you to show up. But you're talking about prayer in a way where you're actually listening and expecting that he's going to say something, or that sounds like, like the relationship is becoming that. Yeah. <clears throat> I had no relationship with the Lord. Hmm. I didn't have a relationship. I knew about him. I was the Israelites. Hmm. I knew who he was. I wasn't Moses. I didn't know his ways. I didn't understand him. I had read the book, mm-hmm. but I didn't know the author of the book. Mm. I had no, no way to commune with him in a way that, that was comfortable. It was always very uncomfortable. This doesn't make sense. You said your sheep hear your voice. July 2016, I write in my journal. I, I hear you because that's how I got here, but I know I don't hear you very much. It seems to me that I should be able to hear you all the time. Hmm. 
and I need you to do that. It was just a simple request. And I'm still learning, but yeah. through, because of the request and leaning into it, it's like a muscle. Mm. Reading the book is, is good, but until you go to the gym, nothing is going to happen. And so for me, the gym was journaling. Lord, what do I do here? Mm. And people go, well, how do you know, how can you distinguish the thoughts? Well, I have a lot of thoughts that are a lot smarter than me. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good start. When ideas come into your brain, you're like, God, that's really smart. Yeah, well, it's not you. It's just not. Mm. Now, you get a lot of thoughts from the enemy coming at you that seem really smart. What I've learned is fear masquerades as wisdom a lot of times. Yeah. You know, oh, Gary, let me give you some wise counsel. You're just afraid. I'm not listening to you. <laughs> yeah, that's fear. That has nothing to do with wisdom. Mm. I had a lot of people said, this is a stupid idea. Well, probably. You, you got to work it. Mm. You know, I, I, I had this voice come in one day, and it, it got louder and louder and louder, and it was like, ended up going, 30 years, you've, you've, excelled in business and this is the decision you're going to make you know how irresponsible this is and all of a sudden i immediately went wait a minute hey holy spirit would you, you ever yell at me never hmm. and i instantly knew every time that happens i know i know whose voice that is now hmm. sounded good initially sounded wise mm-hmm. but it, i wasn't listening and it kept getting louder hmm. Now I know. Well, how do you know that? You journal 2,500 pages and you you go through the experience. 2,500 pages is a lot. Yeah, but I didn't do it out of some, you know, I'm I'm some spiritual giant. I did it out of necessity. It's the only way I could survive. Mm. Now, I, I journal because it's how I steward the Word. Most people that I know, and I was one, mm. I did not steward words well. If you would have sent me a verse, hey, Lord gave me this verse for you. You know, that's cool. And one day, and I'm journaling, and the Lord said, hey, uh, you like that parable of the talents, right? Oh, yeah, I love that parable. Parable of, of the talents is the one where he gives um, one of them one, right? Gives another two. And one five. And one five. One to five, comes back, he's doubled it. Well done. Mm-hmm. One with two, he's doubled it. One with one, buries it. Because, hey, I, I'm, I know you're a tough man. I didn't want to lose it. And what does he do? He gives the one to the guy that now has ten. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, why would you? Tr- Jesus doesn't treat people differently. Oh, yeah, he does. Trust me. Hmm. He, he may love us the same, but he treats us based on our on our how we've stewarded our talents. Mm. And what I learned was talents isn't just money. One day, the Lord said to me, "What do you? What's the most valuable asset in the world?" Mm. I don't know. <laughs> Why don't you tell me? Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, you're leading me somewhere, and. He said, my word is the most valuable thing in the world. 
I create a billion stars with a word. Hmm. When I give you a word from someone, maybe I'm, maybe I'm reading John 15 and I get a word. It may come from David Skidmore, which hmm. it has. Lance Humphreys. It may come from, I mean, I carry, in, I carry this. Wes Lane, good friend of ours, sends me. I'm at his house one day, one night, and he says, hey, I got a verse for you. Mm. I go, oh, awesome. Isaiah 58, 11, and 12. That's cool. Didn't do anything with it. About two weeks later, a gentleman named Greg Gunn, good friend of mine, local, 4.30 in the morning. Hey, Brooks, the uh, Lord woke me up and told me to text you this verse. Same verse. Isaiah 58, 11, and 12. I'm like, that's weird. Still didn't move on it. I'm busy. Mm-hmm. Day after Thanksgiving 2019, a lady I've never met from Dallas walks up to me in a coffee shop and says, are you Gary Brooks? I said, yes. She hands me this card. She goes, Lord gave me this verse for you in my quiet time. Now, that's impossible. Yeah. That's impossible. You've never met her. Never met her. It, it's impossible. Handwritten, Isaiah 58, 11, and 12. I open it up. She looks at me and she goes, does it mean anything? I go, you may have just changed my life. Because now I've got a choice. I go through, I, I go, I look at door one, mm-hmm. keep doing what you're doing, stay the way you are, mm-hmm. don't risk, this could be uncomfortable, or I go, Lord, I don't understand how you do this, but I just have got a word from the creator of the universe I want this to happen all the time. Because if there's a world out there mm. where a lady I don't know can give me the same verse my two friends did, I want to live in that world. That's a risky world. A lot of people, I get people go, oh, it's coincidence. Like, you're kidding, right? <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, really. That's a coincidence, yeah. all right. You, yeah, that's stupid. Yeah, there's no coincidence here. So my point is, yeah. I took this, I've got over 100 pages of journal on this verse, because every time I move into it, I steward it, the Lord keeps giving me more and more revelation. Mm. Had I put this in my pocket and forgotten about it, wouldn't have changed my life. So you start to steward God's Word differently. Something I think is really interesting, and, and I'm saying in that both the Bible and words that you're getting from, from people and you're having to uh, discern is this from God? Tell me about the first time. I, I, you, you have something. Uh, I'm thinking about Marcus Jackson. I'm thinking about uh, Jacob Weaver, a few other friends. We would say, Gary's got the dog. And what we mean is... Yeah, tell me what that means. I have a dog, but I don't think <laughs> yeah, that's what you mean. What I mean is Gary, Gary's got, got the thing in him that he's spoiling for a good challenge. Like he's looking for... Like, how, how do I go after it in life? Russell Westbrook has got, got the dog. Okay. So here's my question. You get in to First National and, like, you're going at it. When's the first time that you get hit and you're like, oh, this isn't a normal real estate problem. Like, this is, this is the I need you, God, and I need your your word like what what's going on in that situation 
It was a couple of years. Okay. And, and I love the Mount Everest example because yeah. you can kind of picture it. I'll never climb Everest. I don't think I have the lungs for it. It's not on my bucket list, but I'm fascinated by it. Mm. The, the, getting up to base camp is got to be fun. Man, you're seeing it. It's happening. Yeah. It's not, I mean, you're dreaming of being on top. You get to the ladder, you're wanting to go home. It's like, I'm about to die. And you're literally passing people who have been dead for 50 years and they're frozen in time because it's so cold. (laughs) And you can see them as you're climbing. Like, what? have I done? And people go, you wanted to climb Everest. What do you mean? Mm. I didn't know it would be like this. Yeah. Cause I, until you experience it, how do you know? Mm-hmm. And plenty of people go, well, you had to know this could be tough. Yeah. But I had nothing to relate it to. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what tough was <laughs> till I'm on the floor of the great hall in tears going, Lord, I'm done. This is over. It was wow. November of 2019. I was reviewing some of my journal. Mm. You know, I, 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 sometimes you just can't hear God. You just don't. Mm. And sometimes you don't see him. You, know, you get in that place, it's like, and you know, we all do that. Like, oh, yeah. I can't hear God. I can't see him. But I can always remember. No matter what, I can mm. be on my deathbed and remember because I've got it written down. Mm. I can always remember. So I'm pulling up, I'm reading my journal one morning early. It's November of 2019, and I'm, I'm in bad shape. I mean, I'm lamenting. What I didn't know was I was about to have heart, heart, basically a heart attack and heart stents. Two years earlier, I had a zero calcium score. November 2019, my calcium score was 748. Won't mean a lot to people, but it means I'm a walking heart attack. I can mm-hmm. die at any moment. Yeah. Just I didn't know how to handle the stress. And I'm, I'm, I'm reading this journal entry, and I'm laughing out loud. My wife walks in, and she goes, what are you laughing about? I go, I'm reading a journal entry from 2019 mm. about I'm about to die, and COVID hadn't even hit yet. <laughs> I'm laughing. I hadn't even come close in 2019 to yeah. how bad it was going to get. But that's how you, that's how you, that's how you work it. That's how you do it. it. It feels great for the first couple of years, but it's probably about two years in. I'm like, okay, I'm at base camp and I'm about to move and it's really cold. Mm. I'm here. I can't go back. What have I done? I'm about to get a lot of people into some messes that I didn't ever see coming. When you get to the mountain and you're, you're that high hype doesn't get you through, you know, it's, it's perseverance, it's grit, it's continuation. Um, as you are in that space, what does that look like, uh, as as far as just the day to day grinding it out? And then as well, like the challenges that you had had to face once COVID hit, cause that changes the game for it for you as well. Everything changed with COVID. Right. Now can you even stay open? Hmm. I get a lot of credit for that project, more than I probably should. The one thing I, I do accept that I, I say, I did one thing really well. I just didn't quit. And you asked a question earlier, why is it important to hear God's voice? 
there were weeks when the only thing that kept me going was, I believe God told me to do this. Mm-hmm. It's all I had. It's all I had. I had nothing else to rely on. But it, he had taken me to the story of, of <clears throat> he had just preached 15,000 people. He, you'll remember, he says to his disciples, get in the boat, go to the other side. Well, it's nighttime. I've stood on the Sea of Galilee. And, the, and where they're headed, they don't know, mm. is to this place called the Gadarenes. And you remember, he gets, they get to the other side, and this crazy man with 12,000 demons in him right. rushes up. I've stood on that cliff with my wife. It's the only cliff on the east side of Galilee. Halfway through, they're thinking, we're going to die. As they're crossing over. As they're crossing. Mm. Like, we're not going to make it. <clears throat> and Jesus basically looks at him and goes, I told you to do this. Mm. There's no chance you don't arrive at the other side. And I hung on to that so tight. Some days it's all I had. Mm. You told me to do this. I don't know what I'm going to look like coming out of the other side. Clearly my financial condition is changing rapidly. <laughs> <laughs> but... There's no way you won't finish this. None. It's all I had some days, but I believed it. Not, in, not early, not initially, mm. but you know, about halfway through, it's like, all right, you're going to do this. And, and again, I'm, I'm journaling all of this. And he said to me, he said, it's going to be better than you've ever imagined it in your wildest dreams. Hmm. Okay, good thing you're in control and not me. Hmm. Uh, restoration project of this size, what are the things that you are doing just within the building? Like what has to, to happen for something like this uh, to come about in, you know, in a six, seven and a half year period of, of time? Well, you have to have great partners who are incredibly strong, mm-hmm. strong-willed, strong financially, with mm-hmm. good teams around them. Choose your partners wisely. It's it's the most important thing. Without the partners partner I had and and the people that were there, I couldn't have ever done it. I mean, I can't pull off a project of this magnitude. It took a lot of lenders, a lot of banks, a lot of people buying into the dream. They bought in earlier, right? All the banks. Only one. Okay. Then I had over a hundred re, uh, refusals. Yeah, I think 106 was the number I counted one day. What's uh, the timeline of 106? Oh, we started aggressively seeking hotel and hotel financing in about 2018. So this would have been late 2022, late 2020. Sorry. So two and a half years. Two and a half years of getting told no you're crazy not interested don't understand the deal mm. or brooks you, you can't pull this off because mm. that was the common thought and it was the right thought i mean i had a friend of mine say you know no one in town thinks you're going to be able to do this I go, yeah i wouldn't either I'm not offended by it that's that's the logical thought to have 
So, you know, I, I quit being offended by it once the you know, 55th bank said, not happening. I go, okay. Mm. You just keep pressing. Yeah. And it happened. So you have to have a lot of lenders. I mean, over a thousand people were involved in this project. People have to buy in. Now, they're getting paid. Partners and I aren't. So uh, city, mayor, city manager, city council, state capital, we knew them all. I mean, they all had to buy in. Was- our Washington people, Washington had to buy in. We're one of the largest historic tax credits in the country in that time frame. Mm. So a lot of people had to at least nod their head. Think about um, something you said earlier. You said, I'm the one who's changed in, in this process. That's why he has us do impossible things. It doesn't change God, but it changes us. Rick Warren uh, begins his book, Purpose Driven Life, by saying it's, uh, I, I don't know if he started it with this, but he says, it's not about you. Um, it's not about me. It's about God. Um, at the same time, Jesus talks to us about how eternal life is knowing him. It's knowing God. And one thing that, that you talked about, um, I, I remember hearing this frequently. You would say, it's not about the building. It's all about you and him. It's all about you and God. What do you mean by, by that? Yeah. Understand, he said that first. <laughs> God did. Oh, yeah. Mm. 2016, we hadn't bought, we hadn't closed yet. We were in due diligence for about mm. a year, researching the building, bringing mm. in experts from all the country. And so I'm prayer walking around the building. And one day he said to me, hey, you need to know, this, is, this has nothing to do with the building. This is all about me and you. And I'm hearing that, I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. What does that even mean? Yeah. It's all about the building, trust me. And I'm trying to have this discussion with myself, I think. And Lord's finally like, no, 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 you need to understand this. I'm going to finish the building. I'm the one who told you to do it. This is all about me and you. Like, how, do you how do you even wrap your head around that? Mm-hmm. It took me years to even understand what he meant by that. It's probably five years later before I wake up and go, I get that now. I understand it. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to me. Yeah. didn't at the time. It made no sense to me. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, when they, think about, when they think about God, when they think about business, I think most of my life when I thought about business, I did not see a connection to how God would show up or why God would be necessary in business. I'm curious from, from your perspective, um, the tension between just being a church member and expecting that God's going to show up and even joining him. You know, Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven and, and our prayer is to bring heaven uh, to earth, to, that, that we would see God bring, uh, that we would see God bring heaven to earth. Um, let's talk about that. It'll help my brain if I break that up into two pieces. Okay. So I was a guy that would have told you, I'm trying to run a godly business. Mm. I would have told you that. Yeah. What I learned about myself was, I loved God. More accurately, I loved the idea of loving God. 
Hmm. I love the idea of people know, hey, he goes to church, he teaches, he reads his Bible, he's a good guy. I love that idea. And I love the idea that, hey, God, I need help. I got a problem over here, hmm. projects. I need you to show up. And he described that to me one day. He said, Gary, I know you love me, but you're not in love with me. What does that mean? Hmm. You can stay on the path you're on, and we're going to be good. Peter's the only one that got out of the boat. Other 11 guys didn't. But he's the only guy who for the rest of his life could say, I walked on water. So... I began to rethink what does it look like to run a business and not be a guy that just hopes God can show up and not be a guy that people thought was a good guy, mm. but truly a person who has a business that God is literally running. And the, the picture he gave me was... Uh, formula a race car mm. i'm in the passenger seat he's driving we all get that picture you know jesus take the wheel but that's what we normally do i'm in trouble you take the wheel mm -hmm. right that's how i did it he said let me give you a better picture i'm driving you're in the passenger seat you're going to experience all of the fear and the g-force in this race car you're going to lose five pounds of liquids coming out of your body because you're going to be scared to death. But you're also going to know I'm driving. Now, the old me would have, when it got challenging, I'm going to grab the wheel. Because what I learned about myself was I, I, I thought my greatest skill in business was persuasion. Mm -hmm. I can persuade people. I can craft a story that sounds and looks so good to you and give you pretty pictures from a computer that you go, wow, that's awesome. I got a vacant piece of ground, and I could, I could sell you that. What I thought my greatest skill of persuasion was actually manipulation. Hmm. I manipulated people. And I didn't know that until he opened my eyes one day, said, hey, uh, steady manipulation. Why? <laughs> so, yeah, just... just do a little, do a little word search. Like, okay. Didn't take me long to come back and go. I do this. I do it with texts and emails, and I call the right people because I know how to get them to say something to somebody else. And you come up with an idea that I planted, and I make you the hero. I'm, I, I, I manipulated people. And what I learned was that that the word comes from the word witchcraft. It's mind control. Hmm. And that's what business people do. We don't want to admit it, but mm -hmm. I'm, I need you, I need to get you to do what I need you to do to make my dream come true. That was my strategy. I would have never said it that way. I didn't, I had no clue. So he says to me, there's a better way to run a business. I'm driving. Hmm. What happens when I get scared when I grab the wheel? He goes, you can grab it, but the minute you touch it, you own it. It's zero or a hundred. Mm. Can't touch the wheel. Okay, 
that violates every single business principle I've ever studied and read and learned for the last 35 years. He goes, yeah, my kingdom's opposite. Mm. And all my friends go, you're doing what? That's crazy. That's the opposite of what you should be doing. Yeah, maybe we'll see. What does it look like for us to join in with God and bringing his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven? Yeah. So I grew up believing the most important command to, for us, go into all the world, preach the gospel. It's a good one. Mm. But I've, I believe now that it's not the main one. Mm. Everyone in the world, that's not true. Most people in the United States have probably at some point or another been somewhere where they've recited the Lord's Prayer, even people who didn't believe in God. It's just, mm. it's that common. Yeah. It's so common, we never think about it. Most of us. I didn't. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we go, oh, God, I just want to know your will. We know his will. He told us. Mm. Well, you know, just, I just want to do God's will. He told us. <laughs> you don't need to... <laughs> Bring heaven to earth. That is his will, and that is our assignment. What does that look like? You don't have to be very smart. Is there any racism in heaven? No. Mm. Then change it. Mm. Is there any poverty in heaven? No. Then change it. Is there any homeless, are there homeless people in heaven? Change it. Sickness, disease, crime. Now, when I go down that path, people look at you like, you're out of your mind. Mm-hmm. I told five people who I, three of whom I knew well and loved in business around a round table two weeks ago, I said, they were talking and just kind of brought up, hey, Brooks, we know you're doing homelessness stuff. I said, they said, what, what's your goal? These are kingdom people. I said, I believe I will live to see the day when homelessness ceases to exist in my city. I believe that. Mm. And one of them immediately went, well, Gary, that's impossible. This is a strong believer who I love dearly. But that's, that's how, that would have been my response. Mm-hmm. Well, all things are possible. Well, not all things. It's what he said. You know, I, I got to go down this tangent real quick because yeah. it, it may be the most important moment of my relationship with Jesus ever was this one. Changed everything. Hmm. I got a hundred, I could tell you, but this is the one that I think for me changed everything. Gary, do you believe all things are possible? Four times John tells us, ask me anything and I'll do it for you. We've read that. Hmm. Who believes it? Anything? I've tried anything. Well, must not work then. And he took me in his, to quite a few verses. You, you will do greater things than me, right? Greater things than you. <laughs> so I'm like, Lord, you know, that, that doesn't happen now. Those things don't happen. And he's just very kindly in that soft voice, which is one way you know. He said... Gary, am I your king? Well, sure. Yeah, Jesus, you're, you're my king. Mm. Did I say that anything is possible for anyone who believes? I said, yeah, it's in red. I'm, I'm reading it. It's right here. Yeah. 
I believe you said it. Who changed my rule? What do you mean? Who changed my rule? If somebody trumped me and changed the rule, who did it? And I'm like, I don't know. He said, so you're following a rule that somebody trumped me on. You don't know who said it, when it was. And he said to me, words I'll never forget, he said, you're worshiping the wrong guy. Hmm. I'm not your king. You have literally bought a theology from people who say my words no longer can happen, and they can't tell you who changed it, yet they still say I'm the guy? Can't be true. I said it. If I'm the king, it's as true today as it was the day I said it. Changed everything. I didn't understand it. That I had to walk down that path. I didn't have to. I could have gone, I don't get it. I'm not, I, I don't experience it. I'm going to stay on my path. They go, okay. You want to do impossible things? Mm. You better start believing. And people go, well, I believe. I love that story where the dad brought the boy. Jesus, I brought these guys to your, my son to your disciples, and they couldn't heal him, right? Seventy-two of them had just come back from two-by-two two two going to towns. They had so much success casting out demons, they were arguing over who's the greatest. It's like, yeah. you should have seen what we did. These guys are coming off the greatest high of their life and they couldn't get rid of this demon. And they take him aside and they go, why couldn't we do it? What does he say? This kind only comes out by fasting and prayer. And most of us go, well, must have been a big demon. Jesus didn't need fasting and prayer to get rid of a demon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they ran from him. Mm. So what's he talking about? Unbelief. You guys don't believe. Wow. It's unbelief. Fasting and prayer, uncomfortable. Going to believe in the impossible? You better ramp up your fasting and prayer game. And when you do, it changes. God doesn't need me to fast and pray. That's laughable. Hmm. It changes me. That's why I need to do it. Hmm. What's at stake if people choose the path of comfort over the next 30, 40, 50 years? <clears throat> Look, I'm not, I'm not a Bible theologian, mm. so, but I do have a relationship with the author now mm. that I didn't have before. Yeah. The Bible says we're all going to be held accountable. Every one of us will stand in front of him one day, give an account for what? Everything we did, mm. everything we thought, every motive we had, and everything we didn't do. There's a verse in Revelation, I believe it's 24, chapter 24. It says he, he will wipe away the tears. Mm. Remember that verse? Mm-hmm. Now, we sing in church, there'll be no tears in heaven, right? right? 
So it's like, well, Gary, there's no tears in heaven. Well, according to Revelation, there will be. I have a theory. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. Can't prove it. There will be a moment when someone walks in, when they immediately realize what they could have done. Hmm. And it's overwhelming. I made it. I'm here. Hmm. But I could have done that. And he looks at you and he wipes away your tears and he goes, I told you. I gave you all power, all authority, told you what my will done, will was, and according to Ephesians 1, 3, gave you every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. I told you. It's up to you to go do it. Yeah. So what's at stake? I don't want to show up at heaven and go, Jesus wiping away my tears. Mm -hmm. going, hey, you made it. You're good. We're good, man. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. I want to show up, and Jesus is laughing hysterically, going, that was crazy. <laughs> I'm like, you told me anything's possible, and I actually believed you. That's what I want. Mm. We only have one case in the entire New Testament that I know of where Jesus literally is jumping up and down with joy, ecstatic. And it's when he, when he sent those 72 out, and they came back, and they're going, you wouldn't believe what we did. He got so much more joy out of watching his people do what he knew they could do than he did when he did it. Hmm. That was much, he, he was much happier. Like, I know I can do it, but I want to see you do it. I lived a life for most of my 55 years, Dave, where I thought, be a good guy, get to heaven, try to get your family there, don't cheat on your wife, Work hard. That was his dream for me. Lord took me to Psalms 91. All the days of your life were written in the book before you were born. Hmm. And I know some people go, well, predestination. No, that's not what it means. Romans 8. All things work for good for those who... We love the first part, who love the Lord, which means we obey Him. So it's all things work for good. It right. only is true for people who are doing what He said. Mm, yeah. And what's the last part? And are called according to the, His purpose. Right. What's my purpose? Mm. I'm a journalist one day. I'm going, Lord, I'm trying to make sense of these verses. Mm -hmm. He said, look, a million years ago, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and I got around, and we crafted a dream for you. <laughs> and we wrote it in the book. Mm. Now, we've given you everything you need to go do it. What's at stake? I show up, and I get to see what I could have done. That's what's at stake. Mm. People go, why do you want to live to be 100, like healthy? Well, I want to die with a sword in my hand, not a cane. Oof. Because I want to show up and look in the book and go, I didn't hit it, but I was close. Mm. I remember the day I said, well, Lord, well, and, you know, if I got involved with people that are working with homelessness and I mean, 
what if we eradicated homelessness? And just very kindly, like, you know, he said, yeah, it's a good start. Hmm. <laughs> what would his dream for you be? Jesus, Holy Spirit, and God sitting around going, what's our dream for David? I want to live as long as I can, killing giants and taking land. I don't want to be a guy going, I'm a good guy, I'm working hard, didn't cheat on my wife, you know. Got to heaven. Mm. That's not it. Yet most of my friends, and I was this way too, it's like, oh, Lord, the world, God. Israel and Russia and all this is coming. Oh, just come back, you know. I just can't wait till the Lord comes back and fixes it. He gave us the tools and told us to fix it. I can't interpret it any other way. Dude. Mm. I have no ability now. That's what I said to him when I said I can't go back. I had it wrong for 55 years. I need to get it right for the next 55 Hmm. So someone is listening to this. <clears throat> they're watching right now on YouTube. And they say, Gary, I hear what you're saying. You're different, though. I heard it because you're an entrepreneur, real estate broker. You've always just been taking big swings. And sometimes like we, we listen and we go, that sounds cool, but also we have reasons not to go for it. Sometimes one of the big ones is just, I'm afraid. I don't want to fail at it. Closing out today, what would you, what would you say to the person who says, I'm not going to take the risk because I don't want to fail? Yeah. You've only known me for seven, eight, nine years. Hmm. You didn't know me when I was 24. I was a knucklehead. <laughs> I mean, there are people in this town who knew me when I first got in this business, you know, um, 27 years old. Mm. They're like, Brooks isn't that good. We've known him for 33 years. He can't do this. We know him. He's mm. not that good. I flunked out of college. I mean, I, I'm, I, I was not a guy mm. that was the most likely person to succeed. I was the opposite. So you, know, you, you got you to understand, I'm the, the man you're looking at who you would say, as the dog, whatever that means, I, yep. I, I need to understand a little bit more. Gary's got the dog. I didn't have the dog at 30 mm. or 40 or even 50. I didn't have it. I, th I think that the way you mean it, I didn't have it. Mm. Faith is risk-taking, period. And you don't have to take risks. I hit a place where I said, I'm going to believe you now. I want to see more impossible things happen. I want to have people I've never met walk up to me and said, Lord gave me this encouragement for you today. Don't know who you are, but you must be important. Hmm. I want to live in that world. I don't want to show up in heaven, not have taken risks. Because you'll immediately realize how insignificant it was that everyone around you said crazy things about you and thought you were nuts. Mm. There will be a day when it won't matter. I'm trying to get there before I die. Mm. Trying to get to a place. Don't care what you think about me. 
I care about one voice. It's not even my wife's. I mean, I lived hoping my wife would be happy with me. I didn't want to fail her. I didn't want to be the guy that, you know, she wakes up and goes, God, you just weren't as good as I thought. Mm. I wanted people in town to go, he's good. I wanted that. I hit a point where everyone's going, hey, he's not that good. <laughs> we, we knew he shouldn't have done this. Mm. It ended up being the best day of my life because that, that was the day I began to go, you know, it doesn't matter what you think about me. It really doesn't. I, I, you wake up, get in a fight with your landlord or your wife or your kid, you may affect how you think about me that day. It's not my problem. So I care about one voice. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to live the second half of my life. Mm-hmm. If he's happy, I'm good. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a big transformation, a real transformation. Took seven and a half years. Yeah. It's still happening, but mm. it took seven and a half years. I think back to when I'm 19. Yeah, when I'm 19, I'm standing in Dale Brzee's kitchen. Mm. And he says, you guys are back in Oklahoma City. I got two guys that I want you to meet. One is Brooks and the other is Beffert. <laughs> I got to meet Beffert one time briefly, but I'm thankful that I got to to meet you because my life's been transformed. So, yeah. yeah. Bless you. You know, Dave, I, I'm, I'm one of the things that drives me is just to try to speak into, I'd say primarily 20 and 30 year olds mm. who haven't been so jaded and tainted. Mm-hmm. Most guys get to my age and it happens all too often and yeah. there's too much to risk. There's too much to give up. They can't do it. I'm lucky. I I took a chance, thought it was calculated, had no clue what was coming, got my head kicked in, lost everything almost, not willingly. I had to shut my company down. I didn't have the 150000 a month just to mm. keep it open. I don't have it. It's, I got to shut it down. I would have never done that willingly. Mm. I did it because I had to. And now I wake up and I've got all kinds of opportunities because I don't, the 95% that got me here, I don't have anymore. And he's like, now you can have some fun. Hmm. You're not worried about losing stuff anymore because you've lost it. You came out the other end. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was wild. Hmm. How'd that happen? (laughs) It all, everything I built for 30 years went away and. I'm better than I've ever been. Mm. That makes no sense to me. I have more business people reaching out to me now knowing that I got crushed than I ever had. I, got, I have more influence over some business people than I ever had. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just because I'm willing to be transparent about it and I, I quit trying to put on an act. Mm. I don't care how you see me anymore. I don't know what it is, but I like it. So you did the impossible. You did that that thing with God. Seven and a half years. You walk into the great hall. It's done. Mm. What's it like? Well, <clears throat> look, you know, I, I'm I don't have much in it anymore. Mm-hmm. 
my my partners have, have taken they're running it they'll do a better job than i'll ever do mm-hmm. i had two options and the first one was pretty inviting let this define you for the rest of your life people say it's a legacy project mm-hmm. it's just going to define you and that sounded pretty cool for a minute God, yeah that's pretty cool like, no, first that's what didn't define me. Mm. Look, while my partners and I have signed the note and have title, the city owns that building. <laughs> never, you, you can't own the Great Hall. That's a city's building. That's a state's building. I, mm. So for me, because I'm so fortunate that the Lord has at least given me a glimpse of how to do big things and why I should. I now walk in the great hall. Yeah, I'm proud of it. It's cool. Like, this is nothing. This is this is spring training. We're gonna we need to go do something that really changes culture. Hmm. Let's let's go do something really big. <laughs> yeah. But I could have never had that thought had I not gone through seven and a half years of disaster. And man, I'm glad I did. Hmm. I think that that wraps it up. I mean, that's, that's the idea. We want to help people live transformed. And the only way that we're going to be able to go to the next level or the one that we ultimately want to get to, we got to take what's in front of us right now. We have to take risks. Yeah. We have to believe what he said. Mm. Quit making excuses. Mm. Quit allowing ourselves to accept life as it is. Yeah. Quit pursuing comfort. Go, I'm, I'm fine being uncomfortable. I'm good. Mm. I, can ha- I can battle storms. Yeah. Yeah. There's a really bad storm coming, Dave. So the culture's going to get shook really big time in the next 20, 12 months. Mm. 2024 will be the most disruptive year in most of our lifetimes. Mm. People need to learn. You, you, you need to learn how to manage storms. Yeah. We're going to have them economically, world. We're watching people live get killed. And we're freaking out. Like, it's war. Mm. This has been going on for 6,000 years. You just never got to see it on your TV, sitting on your couch, drinking a beer. <laughs> yeah. Now you're going, hey, this, this is wrong. I, I, I'm not smart enough to, to tell you if it's right or wrong. It, it's going to shake people up in ways we've never seen. And my belief is we're not very far away from many in society going, how come you're not worried about it, David? (laughs) Gary, how come you seem to be not like freaking out about this? Now we can talk. Mm. I've got an anchor that I didn't have, that I now have. Yeah. I've got a peace and a joy and we're living in the greatest time in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. I believe that. I mean, AI is going to disrupt a lot of things. I happen to believe that it's going to create more opportunities and more fun. Mm-hmm. You used the word earlier, discernment. Discernment's going to be one of the most important things people are going to have to have. Yeah. What's real, what's not. Is that deep fake? Is that real? I don't know. And it's going to scare people. Mm. We've got to be calm. We've got to be able to manage storms, sleep in the boat when it's about to kill everybody and we're asleep going, okay, Mm. we can handle this. Yeah. Well, 
I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thank you very much. And to the man who says, I would rather finish my days with a sword in my hand than a cane. We look forward to seeing what the next 55 years look like, too. Thank you, Dave. Bless The formula. Watch me demonstrate. See, I'm determined and dedicated. Watch what I create. And when resistance is persistent, I go harder in a pain. I just put you up on game so I can watch you elevate. Let's fly. Wake up in the morning, no snooze. Start my day off with a prayer. I won't lose.